Buzzer Podcast. All music. Worldwide music started in local music scenes. Underground, independent, unsigned talent. Music you choose to hear, not the music mainstream tells you to hear. Hosted by Shay, the Buzzer Podcast is a Canadian broadcast connected to artists around the globe. Hey y'all, Shay here. This is the Buzzer Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Singer, songwriter, poet, painter, rule breaker, game changer. He pushed the boundaries, blurred the line, held up a mirror, and reflected to us the state of our culture, our world, and ourselves. The irreplaceable trailblazer David Bowie helped define our universe through his music. Welcome to the sound and vision of David Bowie. From Toronto, band members Kevin Connolly and Alexander Sasha Tukach are joining us. Kevin and Sasha are founding members of the band Heroes. Kevin is the frontman and lead vocalist for Canadian-based Life on Mars project. Celebrating the music of David Bowie, Sasha is on drum. Established in 2004, Toronto, Canada-based Life on Mars presents the genius of Bowie across the decades. Life on Mars is not an imitation of Bowie, but an emulation of his music and a celebration of his spirit. The show is backed by the incomparable Heroes Band. Jack Spann will be joining us today as well. Jack Spann is a singer-songwriter and master keyboardist-pianist out of New York, United States. We feature tracks from his 2017 album, Beautiful Man from Mars, A Nod to Bowie. Today's show is with Kevin, Sasha, and Jack. We talk about Mercuretto, the love child of Life on Mars, the Life on Mars show, the influences Bowie had on music and their own past, and the unique vocals of Bowie. Enjoy the series. Starting the show, Life on Mars from the Hunky Dory album, released 1971 by David Bowie, performed by Kevin Connolly and the Heroes Band from the Life on Mars show. It's a god-awful small affair To the girl with the mousy hair But her mummy is yelling now And her daddy has told her to go But her friends are nowhere to be seen Now she walks through a sunken dream To the seat with the clearest view As she swooped to the silver screen But the film is a saddening bore Because she's lived it ten times or more It's about to be lived again As I ask you to focus on sinners Fighting in the dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go 
It's a freaky show. Take a look at the lawman beating up the wrong guy. Oh man, wonder if you'll ever know. He's in the best-selling show. It's a life on Mars. It's on America's torch. Mickey Mouse has grown up a cow And the workers are struck for fame Cause Lennon's on sale again See the mice in their million homes From Ibiza to the Norfolk Road Ruby tenure is out of bounds to my mother, my jargon clown But the film is a saddening call Cause I wrote it ten times or more It's about to be written again As I ask you to focus on sailors Fighting in the dance hall Oh man, look at those cavemen go Take a look at the long man Beating up the wrong guy Oh man, wonder if he'll ever know He's in the best-selling show Is that I've heard This is an exciting uh, show today. We have Jack Spann from New York City, from Toronto, Canada, Kevin Connolly, and Alexander Sasha Tukach, celebrating the sound and vision of David Bowie. Welcome, guys. Hey, Shay. Hey, guys. Hey, everybody. Jack here. Why don't we start the show with each of you giving a little snapshot and introducing yourself to our listeners. Uh, I'll go first because I'm that kind of person. Um, <laughs> hey, Jack. So I, I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, and I moved to New York City in 1998. Um, started playing um, music as much as I could. Played a lot of uh, piano bars um, while also trying to like play with four or five different original bands. Um, at one point, I started auditioning for 
Broadway, got a uh, part in a Broadway show at Lincoln Center. I did that for almost two years. Um, continued to still try to be a rock star. And, um, and uh, I guess it was 2013, I got a call from Tony Visconti, who had gotten my name from a friend of his. And they were <clears throat> going into do demos for what turned out to be Black Star. Um, awesome. So I and yeah, so I ended up getting the gig, and I didn't get fired, and I got to sit next to Bowie for four days and um, do a bunch of that stuff. And I actually, I thought I was going to go on tour with him because when I left the studio, he was like, "Make sure your passport is ready because I'm getting ready to tour." And I, I then he got sick. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, um, and I even, I had even called Tony Visconti. He was like, do you know what's going on? He's like, no, I haven't talked to him. And then, you know, like he, I, I, it has nothing to do with me. I guess he was like, well, my life is ending and, you know, I, I need to get something out before it's too late. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, so that's my little, my little rundown. Now I'm, I'm still, I moved upstate and I'm now still recording music and still trying to be my rock star self and uh, just getting, getting better and learning more all the time. Well, you're putting out great music, Jack. Mm, thank you. Now, Sasha, what about you? Hi, my name is Sasha Tukach. I'm a Toronto-born musician. My instrument of choice is drums and percussion. I was born in 1963. Now I'm an old geezer. I've done, every, yeah. I've done everything from uh, playing in bar bands and uh, show bands to uh, keyboard and drum teching for mostly Canadian recording artists and live touring artists. Uh, and anything from keyboard, uh, tech and build drum tech and build, uh, technology, uh, MIDI operator, programmer, uh, tour and production manager. And now I predominantly sit at home and record from home and wait for the phone to ring. Awesome. That's awesome. And what about you, Kevin? Hmm. Uh, well, my name is Kevin Connolly. Uh, I used to be, uh, I think my first uh, known band was a band called New Regime, which uh, in the mid and late 80s put out uh, two albums on RCA BMG. Uh, that, went, uh, that went away and uh, I put out a solo album called Son of the Sun. Uh-huh. And what else? Uh Somewhere in there, in between acting gigs and uh, playing uh, playing out live, we concocted the idea of a band called Heroes, which was just going to be a band performing band performing David Bowie. Uh, we expanded the show after a few years, changed the name of the show to Life on Mars, made it more theatrical, uh, employed uh, props and actors and uh, choreographers. And uh, we've been running with that for about 16, 17 years. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's been a bit. And uh, yeah, no, great fun. Uh, great, great fun. Yeah. And current projects being Life on Mars. 
uh, Iron Age Mystics, uh, Political Rock Band, all original, of course, and uh, Mercuretto, which is basically a reinvention of uh, 70s glam songs. And uh, we recorded 13 songs for an album for that. Parts of the album are available now and parts will be available soon. Yeah, and that takes us up to now. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of great music and projects that you and Sasha both work on together. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Sash Mercuretto, Sash Life on Mars, obviously, and Sash uh, Drummer for Iron Age Mystics. So, yeah. We... Thank you for, for, for including me and, and adding that as a footnote. That, yes. I'm... Yeah, um, of course. I'm part of that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm at your Facebook page right now. It looks really cool. Um which uh, the life on Mars one? Uh, I know. Uh, I know Iron Age Mystics. Oh, Iron Age Mystics. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's incredible music. Incredible music. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be sure to check it out some more. Oh, I'd look forward to your feedback, Jack. For sure, it'd be awesome. So, Mercurietto was the love child of Life on Mars. Yes. How did that come about? We were hired to play the Art Gallery of Ontario. Uh, when Bowie's uh, exhibit was uh, in Toronto mm-hmm. and uh, a popular promoter, I'd even say legendary in this country, uh, a fellow by the name of Gary Top, came out to see us and our manager had been inviting Gary for, I don't know, a decade to come out and see us. So it's kind of a miracle in and of itself that he showed. And um, so basically it was, you know, after the show, he uh, he hung out and uh, we chatted and he, he came up with the idea of Mercuretto essentially uh, as uh, the way that we did it, which was, you know, um, what would be interesting to me, says Gary, is, is I would like to get behind the project uh, that does 70s glam songs, but not in the way that the 70s glam songs were done at the time, reinventing them. And uh, this really, uh, this really uh, tweaked the guys, and so I think we spent the next two, two and a half years recording the album. Wow, uh, maybe a little longer actually. Now I think about it, but uh, yeah, fun stuff, fun stuff. Hmm. And the actual sessions were uh, were really quick uh, writing sessions, what I would call uh, refer to as Nashville mm-hmm. sessions, where you <clears throat> learn the song in its original form. And you get into a room, into a studio in this case, uh, and you uh, run it down a couple of times and then uh, completely deconstruct it, explode it, and uh, look at, you know, uh, inversions of chords and and, uh, harmonically taking it as far out as possible so that you could almost, uh, if you just listen to the music, not recognize uh, the song until the melody kind of came in and the lyrics uh, Yeah, the B-sides were remarkably different than the originals. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes so different that, uh, as Sasha said, you could be a good portion into the song and not even quite clue into what song it was that you were listening to. So what, to. what, like, which, can you throw out a couple of examples of songs that you've given this treatment to? Oh yeah, sure. Sure, Jack. Uh, the last single uh, was Patti Smith's uh, Dancing Barefoot. Hmm. 
which, as you will likely recall, was basically voice acoustic, very earthy. Uh, we gave it a very orchestral treatment uh, with a, a, a incredible amounts of drama. And instead of having uh, Tanya Godino, who is the other lead vocalist, the female vocalist in Mercuretto sing it, uh, I took the lead uh, just to juxtapose mm. the context, um, but make it very poetic in, in, a, uh, in, in, a, in a feminine, but masculine romantic way i think is what we went for and then uh and then uh, tanya took the ending the uh, spoken word part and uh, knocked it out of the park mm. and so very 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 proud of that piece uh we also did uh seeing as david bowie is the topic of the day uh we also did a very obscure uh track from david uh off lodger called uh, the assassin uh, which, if you listen to the original, it's very edgy, uh, it's abrasive, um, and the vocals are, well, uh, what David obviously was going for at the time, very outside. Uh, we did a very different treatment to it as well, and it's it's lush. Uh, it doesn't have the, the edge that uh, David wrote into it, uh, but definitely runs in a different direction with that as well. And we did an Alice Cooper song. We did uh, T-Rex. We did, uh, I don't know, a bunch of, I was, sorry, is that true? We did the sweet. Yes, we did the sweet. Yeah. Love is like oxygen. Uh, yeah. I think out of all the songs that we did for Mercuretto, the love is like oxygen is the closest to the original. It's, it's, uh, it's the long version of the original, and uh, except for the production value, you know, given the times, uh, is a little bit up. Uh, our version is a fair bit up from the original, but that's about the only difference, really. Mm. Oh yes, and it turned into a duet, not uh, not a single male voice. So yeah, there you go. Well, Sasha, don't you have the story where you sent what you did um, to one of the groups, and there? A comment was it didn't sound anything like the original. Sorry, that was a New York Dolls. Yes, that's right. The New York Dolls. Yeah, and uh, sent it uh, through a, a mutual friend and uh, Canadian, uh, I guess, uh, clearinghouse of uh, licensed free music to uh, the Conti brothers who were involved in the, uh, I guess, the later version of the New York Dolls and uh, I think it was uh, Michael who said no it's really good but uh, it sounds nothing at all like the, the song and we thought yeah that's, that's I guess we hit it out of the park there <laughs> <laughs> that was the point actually <laughs> thank you for sharing that story again love it we are going to take a break now and listen to changes from the Hunky Dory album released in December of 1971. Oh 
What went into the making of the project Life on Mars? A lot of sweat and tears. Yeah, lots. Like I said, we went through, we started off as heroes. Uh, we did, we played out fairly regularly in clubs. Uh, didn't have to uh, grace the uh, grace the more dirty clubs, um, basically because they wouldn't be interested. And, you know, I mean, I, by dirty, I don't mean like crappy shitty. I just mean you know, teeny tiny stages and redneck, redneck and, you know, that kind of deal. Cause they wouldn't be interested in that kind of musical genre anyway. Uh, and we were getting a lot of traction with it and I forget how this came about. 
I, I, I don't even actually recall. Um, it might have been John James, the bass player, or uh, one of uh, my dressers, uh, Beth Kondek. I was inspired to a uh, start to choreograph this, other than the things that I just did spontaneously myself and Tanya and the band together, uh, to actually choreograph it, and choreograph it, and kind of dramatize uh, the language of the song, say fame or whatever David's song that we were playing at the time, uh-huh. uh, in a much more visual context. Uh, I do have a very extensive theatrical background going back to before I was actually a professional musician. Wow, cool. So it was a nice opportunity to bring that into the uh, hemisphere. Uh, so like I said, uh, I invested these uh, in costumes and we uh, invested ourselves in developing a show to uh, beyond simply uh, six musicians lovingly playing incredibly crafted David Bowie songs. And uh, yeah, I... I I think we did a pretty good job. <laughs> Anything to add to that, Seth? Also, in, in, in part, uh, because as you had said before, going and playing clubs in uh, towns that I refer to as redneck, um, if you looked at uh, Mr. Bowie's schedule, uh, touring schedule, he would not play in, say, blue-collar towns as much. Just, okay. People don't get it, and I guess mm-hmm. it didn't sell as much. So he would play in major uh, city centers or major venues, or just outside of the major venues. Right, right. right. And that allowed us to to, to play in theaters, uh, smaller theaters. In fact, I just received the uh, multi tracks from we played Atlantic City and uh, Sellersville, which I where was that? Uh, it was, yeah, in in the East Coast, just outside a large city in the East Coast of, of the U.S. Well, you did a remarkable performance to David Bowie, Kevin. Well, thank you so much. A remarkable performance. Your voice is so much like David Bowie. Yeah, well, I got lucky in the gene pool, I guess. <laughs> but there seemed to be only one way for a male vocalist uh, to express themselves in uh, contemporary music at the time. Uh, and it seemed boring to me uh, and didn't, uh, it failed to really captivate my interest. Yet, of course, I had this incredible passion to be a singer. And then along came, uh, I don't know, a Friday afternoon or after, after uh, work or school, I forget which it was, I went downtown and there was these, uh, uh, every single David Bowie album that ever was, printed to that point in time was on sale at uh, Sam the Record Man or the Record Peddler, one of those places uh, down on Young Street. And I bought every single one of them. I bought every single one of them without ever actually hearing, at least knowingly hearing any, any David Bowie prior to that. And the guy behind me in the lineup goes, yeah, Z Stardust is a great album, but I don't know what happened to him after that. I just <laughs> <laughs> after that. I don't know. He increased he increased his latitudes of being brilliant. Uh, about that, anyway. But I didn't. I didn't have a word to say because I didn't. Uh, I didn't. Uh, I hadn't really heard much of uh, David to that point in time. So I went home Friday night, and uh, from that point forward, I just basically devoured every album, spin and spin and spin and spin, until I think I wore out Diamond Dogs, to be honest with you. Uh, and yeah. uh, 
And uh, it, it, it opened up latitudes of male musical uh, vocalizations for me. Uh, uh, different hemispheres in the brain uh, get to be used when, when uh, singing uh, uh, melodies and emotional content and, and uh, lyrical content, uh, artistic content, uh, to the degree that uh, David wrote and performed. Uh, in his music and it was it was basically like the clouds opening up and going you know angels singing and oh and <laughs> and it changed it it changed it changed uh it, it it changed the way i wanted to be a a singer and a and a lyricist and a, and a songwriter so yeah wow that's great that's great thank you for saying that Sasha, do you have anything to add? Well, actually, I was going to ask Jack uh, a question, but maybe we should save that for later. Uh, no, go ahead. I, I just uh, oftentimes when listening with uh, friends, uh, uh, I believe Kevin and I have had this conversation while in a van heading to a gig that his uh, vocals sometimes reflect his uh saxophone playing style mm. uh the the, the 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 melodies he chooses and the, the the steps he takes and the the fluidity and the angularity did you see that uh when you were working with him or would you agree with that statement yeah, i've never actually thought about it, it from that point of view he actually did have a saxophone um with him uh and and he was yeah he was in doing tracks. Um, it, the situation the so we were all sitting in a room you know basically they're like this is how every song went like we were all sitting in a room. David would send you know me or the drummer Zach in um, to do a track. Zach is fabulous as a drummer. It, yeah yeah. Um, but I, I actually gave like when he went in to do his vocal tracks and his saxophone tracks, I sometimes would actually leave the room. I think the time that he took his saxophone and was doing um, his saxophone tracks, I actually got up to, to go have lunch or something. Um, yeah, I, I uh, it, it was it was a it was a strange and wonderful process. Um, I, I don't know. If, I don't think I answered the question at all. <laughs> I can see where Sasha's going with this. Bowie had Bowie had a vocal tone all his own. One that set him on the path to stardom, I believe, and no better was the scene in the song Changes that we just heard. You know, it, it's an observation that uh, his uh, vocal styling is um, akin to the approach that uh, saxophonists would, would, would take in, in, in playing lines. So I thought that that came from his uh, sax playing, really, and, and, and somewhere deep inside. Right. His, he, he does with his voice things that many vocalists don't do. That's fascinating. I, I, I will say that the first time that I got the call to go in on the session, it, it came in the form of an inquiry as to how familiar I was with the music of Stan Kenton. And at, at the time, I, you know, we talked about this and I, I actually went into his 
manager's office and signed a non-disclosure form. And I didn't really talk about this for years, but um, what the way he explained it was that he was going to do a jazz album. You know, like he was he was modeling it somewhat after the music of Stan Kenton. And the only reason I know about Stan Kenton is because I took piano lessons from a guy who loved Stan Kenton. uh, Kenton. Um, And so I ended up learning. Luckily, I knew who he was and I knew how to play um, some of his tunes. But that, you know, that that never happened that 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 project it whatever that was turned into black star um which is not really very jazzy um there there was one tune that he brought in um that i actually i kept humming it and i brought it back the next day and i was like david can i play this for you (laughs) like it's that melody that you had and i i kind of like did like a stan kenton to it and he was like oh sure I'd, I'd be glad to hear that um and then it never happened it was like things got busy in the studio and you know there were just so many things going on and i also i i when i was around him i didn't want to ask him or talk too much like I, I didn't i didn't ask for a photo i never got a selfie like right on, right because on. i i you know it's just i just wanted to leave this guy alone yeah. to do his his thing yeah yeah um so i i personally thought i was like very respectful um and try to be very respectful now i wish i would have you know asked more questions or you know like at least taken more photos or um you, you know but but who knows like in the, <laughs> i've had <clears throat> i've had a really close friend die this year and last year i had a really close friend die i think people Both always think that there's time you know, and I, I think that I thought that there would be plenty of time. Like, um, well, condolences to condolences to you on on the passing of your friends, and yeah. Well, you you know, Sasha, it, and the older I get, it's like people are dying left and right, and it's <laughs> you know, like people are just in the first place. You're lucky to be alive, and you're lucky if you're not oppressed, and you know, you have your health, and then. And after that, it's all like, how much can you, can I enjoy this before it's all over? Oh, it's, yeah, it's, thank you. It's wonderful. It's really great that uh, everybody's getting to know each other. That's awesome. Thank you, Jack, for sharing the stories of uh, Studio Time with David Bowie. We're going to be listening to Suffragette City next. The song encapsulated everything Bowie was at the time, sexual, dangerous, and ultimately unpredictable. Ziggy Stardust, in his titular album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, not only defined a generation of glam rock kids, but set out Bowie as the artist unlike any other. The glam rock king really kicked it up a notch in one track in particular, and that was Suffragette City. And we will listen to it now. Thank you. 
As a group, what are your thoughts on Ziggy Stardust? The recording or the... Well, the whole concept of Ziggy Stardust, you know, the man, the myth, and that it cemented his status as a rock icon. Uh, the concept of the record and Ziggy, the character itself. I, well, this is Jack, and in, in my mind, like, that was my first... I mean, I, I had heard the song Space Oddity, um, which immediately the very first, I still remember I was walking down the street by my high school and somebody had it on the radio across the street. And I was like, what is that song? That is so crazy. Um, and it had nothing to do with his image or, you know, his, I know he's a really attractive man. I didn't know that. I just heard that sound and it was like, Oh, okay. Um, but then I, I think I did, I, I guess that wasn't really on an album. Like you couldn't purchase it on in North America as part of like an album. And then Ziggy Stardust came along, which everybody had. Um, and that's, yeah, that, that was my first, 
um, kind of like exposure to, to to that kind of talent and that kind of intellect. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, there are lots of people that are always um, innovating and, and like, you know, pushing brilliant ideas forward. Um, but the world isn't always ready for them. And for some reason, the world was ready for David Bowie at that moment. Right. Like, um, even though there are other people who were performing, you know, either in drag or, you know, with makeup or, you know, like whatever, whatever he was doing that, that set him apart. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, we as a society seem to like be ready then. And, um, there's probably, you know, thousands of people potential David Bowie's right now in in America and you know all over the world and a lot most most of them will end up with no fame and you know luckily David Bowie did. It was an alter ego that really took a big toll on him. But now that you mentioned Space Oddity Jack, uh, we're gonna spin it right now. Uh, Space Oddity was a single released in July of 1969 and then was part of the second studio album, David Bowie. Tempe. 
Do you agree that Ziggy took a toll on Bowie? Yeah, that's that's very true, uh, Shay. I think that was uh, part of the uh, uh, the reason of the trip to Berlin to basically detox from all the identities that he had uh, that he had transformed himself to and through uh, the previous albums, Aladdin, Sane, Diamond Dogs, and of course Ziggy. But I, I, there was also, I mean, for David, from what I've read, anyway. Uh, there was an upshot to it. Is just wasn't uh, in personality. He wasn't a natural born extrovert. I seem to understand. Uh, and he so especially in the first years when he was taking the stage, it was much easier for him to adopt a persona, uh, play the persona, than be David Bowie. Uh, 
uh, the person. And uh, so it was a bit of a foil, a bit of a way to overcome his inhibitions, uh, or so I had read. And I understand that myself. I'm not exactly... Uh, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a natural-born extrovert by any extent of the imagination. I know enough of them to know that I'm not that. Uh, and so it is a way of, of kind of... Uh, of acting into a character and using that as a screen between yourself and the audience. Uh, and, uh, you know, when done dramatically and effectively, which of course David did brilliantly, uh, it's mesmerizing, it can be mesmerizing for sure. Yes, 100%. You had the opportunity to work with Mick Ronson, who also uh, was on the David Bowie Spiders from Mars album. Did you not? Uh, Mick Ronson, yeah, uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was a completely cool uh, experience that just came about because we were recording my band New Regime, the one that was on RCA BMG, uh, was recording their second album called The Race, The Race at uh, a studio called Phase One Studios here in Toronto, and they have two large studio, Studio A and Studio B. We were tracking in Studio A and uh, Mick was recording an artist, a Canadian artist by the name of Lisa Del Bello in Studio B. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I, I thought it was the coolest thing, you know, David Bowie's guitar player, uh, you know, and we'd watch TV and hockey games and whatever. <laughs> the session, the, the, you know, the usual stuff you do when you kick it back, right? Uh, and he heard me sing through Steve Webster, who was producing the album, uh, who was Billy Idol's bass player amidst the many things that he's done, Parachute Club. And, and uh, so basically Mick, Mick heard me sing uh, because... Um, well, I mean, Steve ran the tracks, and so uh, Mick asked me to sing on two Lisa Del Bella tracks. Uh, and uh, so I did. And uh, remarkably easy. It's like, you know, do you want me to do that again, Mick? Oh, no, that's fine. That's wonderful, Kevin. Wonderful. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. And, uh, you know, layer after layer, track after track, and so forth. But it was, uh, it was exhilarating. It was very fun. Well, how that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. Sure, sure. Jack, we're going to be playing the track I'm a Bird next from the Beautiful Man from Mars album you released in 2017 as a nod to David Bowie. Can you tell us about the track? Yes, I can talk about it. Um, I had an idea for the song, um, which basically came from hearing birds, I think, outside of my window. Um, and, I, you know, I just started singing to myself, tweet, 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 tweet. Um, and I, I know it's been done before, but, um, you know, the, the song just seemed to write itself. And I, I played it for some people and they were like, yeah, you should record that one. You know, I, I wouldn't compare it to anything Bowie has done. Like, maybe Bowie's, like, worst song ever possibly and i say that with a wink and a smile but i i i do think um it follows the spirit of of david boy which is to say something that's important to you and 
just, you know, to say it and not dwell on it. Well, that's an incredible way to explain it and also to give a reason why we're listening to it on our show tonight. Thank you, Jack. that's a great chat for our first episode on David Bowie. Second episode with Jack, Gavin, and Sasha continues tomorrow evening on the Buzzer Pod. We end this show with Moon Age Daydream. Moon Age Daydream was originally recorded in February 1971. It was released as a single by David Bowie's short-lived band Arnold Corns in May of that year by B&C Records. Bowie re-recorded the song later that year with his backing band, The Spiders from Mars. 
The band comprised of Mick Ronson, Trevor Boulder, and Mick Womancy. It released on his 1972 album, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and The Spiders from Mars. The song directly introduces the character Ziggy Stardust, who describes himself as a bisexual alien rock superstar who will save the Earth. They describe the impending disaster to come in the opening track, Five Years. It features saxophone played by Bowie and a guitar solo and string arrangement by Ronson. Many consider Ronson's guitar work a clear standout. Moon Age Daydream is one of Bowie's greatest songs. He played it in concert throughout the 1972-73 Ziggy Stardust tour and on later tours. So listeners, have a good night. Enjoy Moon Age Daydream.
Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning into the Buzzer Network, sponsored by Buzzroll Media. Thank you to the artists who share their music. Our shows wouldn't happen without their music. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter for showtimes and updates. Subscribe at thebuzzerpod.com. Fans and artists can submit their request to Shay at thebuzzroll.com. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.